Welcome to the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Vest, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. I am so excited for this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I sat down with my friend, Diana Hernandez-Wayne, who is a life empowerment coach helping women heal to thrive. And we talked about all sorts of stuff, including how you can network your way into a new career and why you may not need a master's degree, um, her top tips for healing from trauma and loss and how she learned to follow her intuition and some helpful tips for identifying what your intuition may feel like. Hi, oh my goodness. Welcome to this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I'm your host, Liz Best, and I am so excited to be sitting down today with Diana Hernandez-Wayne, who is a good friend of mine and also a life empowerment coach who helps women heal to thrive. Uh, She's amazing. Uh, Fun fact, we actually met on a bus in India, which maybe we'll get into that story later. Um, But before we jump into questions, uh, Diana, I would love for you to take a few minutes to introduce yourself to our listeners. Yes. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here. Anytime I'm in your space and your energy field, I'm just like, oh my God, Liz is here to change the world. (laughs) Just so Oh my gosh, thank you. So thank you for having me. So yes, I'm Diana Hernandez-Wayne. I became a life empowerment coach. My coaching journey probably has been over the last uh, four years. Now that I think about it, it's kind of crazy how time flies. And if it's okay, if I can share what started my journey in becoming a coach, I think that's important to give context of why I help women heal so that they can thrive and So my journey into coaching started about 10 years ago when I had a sister that I'm the youngest of four and my sister, my second oldest, her name is Karen, which cracks me up that there's a Karen meme nowadays because she was such a feisty person. (laughs) So we, my, my family and I always talk about how the memes like she, that she would be laughing at that meme right now. So my sister, Karen was diagnosed with stage four gastritic cancer. And that cancer tends to be um, advanced by the time it's caught because it's essentially cancer in the stomach. And as a muscle, the stomach is such expanded. So you can't find it unless you've did an MRI. Um, So she was diagnosed with cancer and that was a really tough thing for our family. It was a huge blow. We did not know how to process what to do. We were, we've never had cancer in our family that we're aware of. And, and it was really difficult time. She was very brave. She did all the things, fought to the very end and her, and her life ultimately ended about 11 months later. And And so that was tough. That was the first time I had grief at that level of where I did not know how to process what that meant. I did the only thing I knew what to do, which was go back to work and work my butt off. It was my way of coping, my way of distracting myself. And I was also really grieving. And because of society things, which we can talk about corporate and support when it comes to grief and loss. Um, I just kept working and pretending like nothing was wrong. What happened is a few months into her passing, I started to get severe anxiety attacks and I didn't know how to manage or process that either. So the story doesn't end there, unfortunately, or fortunately, um, 15 months after my sister, Karen passed my other sister, Raquel, who was the sister before me, she took her life. And that was a completely different type of blow because with Karen, there was an understanding 
loosely, right? It's not like it's easy to accept a loss or that somebody will eventually pass when you know that the end is near. And so that was tough. And then with Raquel, there was no, it was just a complete surprise. And at the same time, I could understand why she took that decision because I had felt depressed, even though I was not brave enough to admit it to myself that I was depressed. And there was different types of feelings. There was anger. There was questions. What could we have done different? It was just such a different sphere of grief. And I always say that my sister Raquel, the one that took her life, is the one that gave me my life back because it was the first time that I had to pause and say, okay, Diana, this is your life. What is your life about? Because I was up until that point, such a workaholic, such a, um, I don't want to just, I was so grinding it out, trying to climb this corporate ladder. It was, it was just all about achieving, achieving, achieving. A big part of that is my upbringing. My family immigrated from El Salvador and all of that to say that I really had to pause and stop and say, what is your life about? And that's what brought me to therapy. Then that's what brought me to coaching. And I will say that when I discovered life coaching, my life changed in as short as six months, completely from grieving, anxiety, to letting that go, to thriving. And that's what started my journey of why isn't this available to women? Why aren't we talking about losses? Why aren't we talking about negative emotions? How do we support women in corporate fields where most corporations give five days of bereavement? I mean, five days is like nothing, right? I mean, we can even talk about maternity leave about that's some some states that's only three months and it's, you know, it's compared to our counterparts and countries in Europe where people get a year off. I mean, there's just such a, everything is surrounded around, in my opinion, around get back to work and go do. And if you're not taking and if you take your time, something might be wrong or, you know, not, I don't want to make blanket statements, but there's some sentiment by some of the policies in place. So coaching saved my life. Coaching is what's got me here. And this is, and I've learned so much about how to process and heal with love and compassion versus from judgment. And what I have found is that when we give ourselves permission to heal, to dig into some of our deep wounds, some of it could be generational, some of it can be mother wounds, some of it could be just unfulfilled lives. When we give ourselves permission to dive in deep and heal, we can thrive and create an amazing thriving life. And that's where I am. My life is amazing. So I can't complain. And that's a long winded way of telling you how, who I am and how I became a coach, but it's just my mission to help women heal so that they can thrive. Absolutely. No, thank you so much for sharing that full context. I mean, I know that it has not been an easy journey to get to where you are today. And I just really appreciate your being so vulnerable and sharing about your loss. Um, and, you know, when I met you, you were like in that very much in that in that coaching kind of upswing. And I'd actually love to hear a little bit more about what you said. I mean, I underlined in my brain, as you said, like it was six months to totally change your life. I mean, mm-hmm. I had different timeline, but very similar experience in, in finding that like coaching unlocked so much for me that I was like, wait, why doesn't everyone have this? Yeah. It's crazy. Um, what was your, what was that six month experience that really shifted things for you? Yeah. And and I want to clarify that. I mean, as you and I both know, once I've discovered coaching, it's not so much as I did a coaching session and then it was one and done. It's more of then I leveled up to the next thing. And then I used coaching as a medium and a tool to help me and process and unpack. And then that helps me for the next level that I keep growing and expanding. And the difference that coaching in particular did and why I say within six months is I had been going to therapy for about three years. I was very self-aware of, yes, I had had these losses. Yes, there was, in my case, I had, um, I don't have a particular close relationship with my mother who's very well alive and very opinionated. And I know from a uh, woo-woo place, we have joined our souls have a contract that we are both living up very well mm-hmm. to each other um, in a very loving way. And I've healed a lot of my my mother wounds. Um, 
all that to say is that I was very well aware that I had not just the losses, but also these things with my mom that I needed to heal and other family dynamics that I needed to really become okay with. My struggle was that I felt that I was aware, but I wanted to feel better. And by feeling better is I wanted to be able to share about my losses without getting emotionally triggered, not because it's a bad thing, but because I wanted to have a feeling of empowerment. I wanted to share a truth about my life. I wanted to share, hey, if I don't feel well, or if I feel off, I've been feeling sad because it's the my sister's birthday and I didn't want to feel shame for that. So that to me was the empowerment piece. I also didn't want to have triggers when I talked to my mom because at that time we were both triggering each other quite a lot. And so when I say that coaching saved me, it it, it is because coaching gave me a tool and avenue to completely embrace what I was feeling and feel empowered. And therefore I could talk about it. And therefore my life wasn't being pulled by my emotions of what was triggered from the events, but more of this is part of my truth. This is part of my journey. This is part of my story. And I get to choose how to look at it from a positive light and a positive perspective. And that to me is the power of coaching. It's the empowerment piece of, it's not that it's okay, or that the things that we've gone through are, were good for us. You know, it's, I do think they're good for us, but I don't mean it in a way of, oh, just be grateful and move on. I truly mean it of I'm empowered because I can, I know how to process my feelings. I know how to process what's coming up for me and give myself loving space for that versus the judgment of why am I feeling these things? And then shying away and not sharing authentically who I am. And that was very important to me. So getting that empowerment truly was within six months of like, yeah, I can do this. <laughs> and, and I knew I had gotten to a good space when I led a huddle with an all hands meeting at the company that I was working for at the time. And I truly shared on there. And this is my story. And then I shared about my losses and the whole audience was just like, oh. and I said, but this is how you can make lemonade out of lemons. And that's what that was my punchline. And uh, I mean, that's the very short version of the, the all hands meeting and sharing my life. Um, but I knew it was like, wow, I felt so it was scary. It was I was like feelings, but I knew there was power in sharing that moment or sharing my story in that moment that truly allowed me to feel like, oh, wow, I feel very empowered to talk about this in a very positive light. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, what a transformation. And that's so powerful that just that that transformation in the span of six months. And I know you've been on a like quite a journey since yes. then, right? It's like we never, we never stop. Um, yes. And um, I'm also curious, I have so many things I want to ask you about, but I feel like for other context, if you want to share, um, I know a lot of the the women who listen to this podcast are also kind of curious to hear about people's career journeys. And so yes. I would love for you to share a little bit more about like kind of like what you were, what you were doing in your career, like up to, cause I feel like you've had, especially with like world events, you've had such an interesting journey. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Fun, fun fact about astrology. I hope you don't mind that I'm sharing mm-hmm. this, but, um, Please do. so the 12th house in astrology is like the, the death house and it's, yes. but it's also like rebirth and transformation. It's where like a lot of like juice lies. Um, and your son, is in the 12th house. Is that correct? Yes, it is. It is. Um, which my, I find. I was oh, just going to say my rising, my rising is in the first house, which I thought is interesting too. I'm like, ah, oh. <laughs> totally, totally. And so, but I, yeah, I think it's just interesting. Like this idea that like your life is maybe shaped in certain ways, you know, from that placement. And like, and so now I would love for you to share the story of your career. And like, people are into that. There's some interesting parallels, I think. And if you're not, then you can like leave the astrology part and take the rest. Uh, Yes, anybody can leave the astrology part and then take the rest. But I do think I, I love astrology from the sense of giving you guidance and a map and not feeling like you're crazy. 
<laughs> like, oh, that makes sense. I've, um, I will back up. You don't know this about me, but when we were little, uh, like my, so my, I'm the youngest of four. My oldest sister is only eight years apart. So we're very close in age. And when we were little, my oldest sister had this astrology book and I would like read it and like devour it. And I just kind of dropped it in high school because I thought I was way too cool for school. But as I've gotten back into astrology in the last few years, it just, I remember how much I got joy out of reading things in that arena in particular. And I've uncovered so much about me. And so for women in their careers, what I learned about myself and also from a human design perspective, I'm also learning about human design. So I'm a manifesting generator, which one of the things I learned is you like to have your arms into many areas, which made sense because I, one thing I've always struggled with is uh, one thing. I'm like, I love to try this other thing and this other thing. I'm always stacking and I have this like personal philosophy in my life around stacking time, which we can talk about. Um, but all that to say is um, my family's an immigrated from El Salvador. And when I um, went to college, I always knew college would be my way into getting ahead, like progressing ourselves. And I never, I always knew I was going to go to college, but I didn't know what my interests were. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And my strategy for my major was quite funny and silly, but it worked, which was I I knew I didn't want to major in the sciences because I didn't want to learn or I didn't find that appealing. And I knew I didn't want to major in the arts because I didn't want to write papers. So by default, I decided business. And then when I got to business, um, my college of business, I went, I just took every intro class that you have to take in um, business. And by default, um, you have to take every intro class, no matter what you major in. So, you know, I took the marketing class, I took the finance class, I took it all. And by default, I just made an A in accounting. And I don't know why I made an A, but I made an A. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I, I did always like numbers. I mean, truly growing up, I played with a calculator. My like desires were to learn how to do a 10 key thing. And I still can't do that. <laughs> that was how I decided in accounting. <laughs> All that to say is I majored in accounting. I so totally got sucked into going into public accounting and creating a career out of being a public accountant. And I kind of, I knew, and I did stay, I did take, get a master's in accounting, by the way, so that I could sit for the CPA exam, which is the, the you know, creme de la creme to say, yes, you are a qualified, <laughs> certified public accountant. And um, by the time I was a senior, I knew I didn't like accounting, it, but I was so in, I was already, I was close to graduating. So I knew that it would always have a good foundation from a business standpoint. I went on to work three years in public accounting and it's like consulting. You work 60 plus on average hours a week. You work 80 plus during business out season and it was a grind. And that was a time when I was actually living a pretty toxic lifestyle in the sense of I would work really, really hard and then go to the bars and the clubs. And I couldn't even tell you what day of the week it was because it was just a constant routine. And a good day for me at that time in my early 20s was I'm off of work at eight. Like that was a good day. And this is after going in at 830 in the morning. So it tells you how much of a grind it was. And I wasn't personally fulfilled. So um, I graduated college. I can't believe this. I'm going to date myself. But I did graduate <laughs> in 2006. And I, 2008, the re Great Recession happened. And it was one of the few industries where, I mean, we were not getting laid off. We, they were, they needed so many people. And I was actually in financial services. I was actually auditing private equity, hedge funds and securities at that time. And I just thought, this is so odd. I've always thought I want a career that I will work no matter what, if there's a catastrophe happening. And so that was odd that it happened. Um, and I had the right job at the right time when everybody else was losing their job. So I hated my job. I hated my life, <laughs> what it had become. And then I talked to a recruiter early 2009 and I, or mid, I don't remember exactly when, but it was 2009, the, the economy still hadn't recovered. 
And I said, I want to move careers or I want to move to a new company and work-life balance. And she said, you know, this is going to be a process. It's going to take probably a year. Nobody's really hiring and therefore, um, you know, we'll keep an eye out. Lo and behold, two weeks later, I get a call for the company that I ended up to ended up going to work at, which was a fortune 500 company. And I jumped into their finance group and the thing about when you go from consulting to the client side or accounting to the client side, I think there's this false cons- misconception that your life will get better, but you're actually just on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't get any better. So I was equally working like 60 hours in financial reporting. <laughs> um And what was neat about that role is that I had an amazing boss who did believe in work-life balance and I was working internationally, which was great and not great because compliance was, did not exist internationally. So I was working many hours at that point. I did have a career. Okay, Diana, what do you want to do in your life? And I started a network internally. So here's, if I can share some tidbits to anybody Mm -hmm. listening that is confused, not sure how with well, not confused, but no, they don't like their career or no, they're not as fulfilled and are interested in probably exploring. Sometimes most people say, go get a master's. And if you work in a big company or don't work in a big company, there's ways in which you can expand your network to meet people in in roles or jobs or careers that could be interesting. So um, because I worked at a Fortune 500 company, there was abundance of employees and I joined some employee resource groups like the woman one and the Latino one that helped me meet people in other roles. And I just started doing coffee dates to understand what their jobs were, what they did, what they liked, what was appealing. And that for me is how I learned and realized that I had always been drawn to marketing and sales and was interested in what that could look like. Because I worked at a big company, I was able to network and meet people that had jumped functions from finance into sales. And truly, there were some amazing people that truly mentored me and even did the whole interview practices, made sure I knew the nomenclature and made sure I understood what the jargon was, the language, what it stood for, so that when I could trans, when I interviewed, I could translate my skill sets in a way that the person interviewing me could understand that I could pick up the work really quickly. So that's how I was able to jump ship from finance into sales and marketing. Now, the quick tidbit I want to share for anybody that doesn't work in a big company or doesn't feel in a safe space to do that, there are trade associations in fields that you're interested in that you could always go join and network. And most of these associations probably have a few dollars in terms of what it, from a membership perspective, but it does not hurt to get your name out there. And that's always what I recommend to anybody that's interested in moving careers is going and joining some of these trade associations to at least expand your networks and really figure out if this is what you could do. Because the official advice is always, well, go get your master's. But if you go spend X amount amount of dollars on a master's and then you come out unfulfilled, then, you know, you kind of use that card already. So I do always encourage, like, really get to know if this is what you want to do. Go expand your network with people that are already doing that thing and then learn if that's what you want to do and then move forward. Totally, totally. And then also figure out if a master's is even, like, required or helpful to do the thing that you want to do. I think people who are – by talking to people who are actually doing it, you'll get, you know, much better perspective on whether it can help you. But – we did and <laughs> no, and actually, that's what happened to me. Is then I essentially got to a place where I knew I wanted to switch. I knew I wanted to switch my function. I, I've always liked being in business. Um, I love the business aspect. I knew I wanted to switch, and so I completely said, "I'm going to either switch here or I'm going to go get my master's degree." And my company said, "No, you don't need a master's if you're once you're in, you're in." So I got an opportunity to do sales. Um, then this is when my sister passed away, the one that took her life. And I actually, at that point took a four month sabbatical. I need, I really needed to take a four month sabbatical. Cause I knew I wasn't going to do the anxiety thing again. <laughs> like I was like, I'm over that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I took that four month sabbatical, that's when I knew I wanted to really focus on things that were important to me, things that would be fulfilling to me. And when I came back, the company was gracious 
you were allowed to take up to six months of sabbatical for personal reasons, extraneous personal reasons of which I qualified. They did not guarantee your position. So when I came back, I interviewed for a marketing role as a brand manager that did not go through. And there's many reasons why that didn't go through. And it, while it was like a setback, my boss at the time who was, you know how you always have the right people at the right time. And you're just like, I could have never planned that. That's who my boss was at that time. Like this guardian angel was that truly treated me like an older, you know, like I was his little sister and really cared for me. So he said, hey, there's this little team, little team called e-commerce. They need people that want to just figure it out. And you have the right attitude to go in there and figure it out. And I was like, okay, I'll join this team. What are they, who are they calling on Amazon? I guess <laughs> um, <laughs> just for perspective of how long ago this was uh, Amazon today th trades for $3,000 on average. When I joined that team, it was trading for $300. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> and I remember thinking, wow, they are like so expensive. Now I'm like, wow, my life would be in a very different spot if I had invested. <laughs> anyway, Ecom was this little hidden thing that I could have never perceived in college that that's what I would do. And I ended up doing sales and marketing and that started my career. So I ended up doing that for the last half of my career all the way until I left my company. And it just was, some of it was luck. Some of it is the right place, right time. Some of it, um, a lot. Of, the other thing I want to share to the audience is know what you bring to the table. So if, when I always talked about my career, I would say three things. One is I am a person that loves to figure it out. I have a natural curiosity. I love to figure that things out. That enabled me to raise my hand for things that not many people sign up for, but I then allowed myself to position myself of, I don't know exactly what I want to do, but if you have a team that needs somebody to figure things out, I'm the right person because I have a natural curiosity. I feel very, and I'm very entrepreneurial. So that was like those three things became my brand of Diana, somebody that likes to figure it out. She's entrepreneurial and she has curiosity. Oh, and by the way, they del she delivers results when she's on that team. So I knew the adjectives to describe myself that would allow me to pigeon into different roles, which is how I had, I think I had a total of six different roles within an eight year career at that Fortune 500 company because I had the adjectives to describe myself. So for anybody, it's not, you have to be curious, you curious, you know, have curiosity or be entrepreneurial. It's what are the adjectives that you can then talk about for yourself that you can share with your managers or with the mentors or your advocates or supporters so that they know your brand and have you in mind for whatever the opportunities are. So I, that's totally. super important. Yeah. No, I think that's such good advice. And one other thing I would say that I often recommend to my clients is like, it's just a reminder that like you can ask people what those adjectives mm -hmm. are. Like if you're not sure what you're known for right now or like what, like how, you know, what you would like to be known for, like, yes. no. And I've watched people do this and it, they're always like, <laughs> almost always like floored by the responses that they get. But yeah. you can totally ask a few people who you really know, like, and trust, like, hey, what are five words that you would use to describe me? And you you might be really surprised what you hear back. Oh, absolutely. I actually love that as like, just ask anyway, and then see yeah. what they say. <laughs> <laughs> totally, yeah. totally. Um, well, oh my goodness, I feel like there's so many other things I want to ask you about. Um, so one that's really top of mind for me is, following your intuition and trusting your intuition. Um, you are someone who has such spot on intuition <laughs> as your yeah. friend. You know, I've watched it so many times. Like how, how have you learned to trust your intuition and to kind of build that muscle? I, I'll tell you the very first time I felt I followed my intuition and I built, I developed a strategy from it that then I use for everything else. So when I graduated college, 
I would love to say that I followed the stream of moving to San Francisco because it was the thing I wanted to do. But the hard truth is I was dating a guy. <laughs> we were going <laughs> to fall in love and get married. <laughs> and again, you know, I think this is where the universe gives us beautiful life experiences to take us to our destination or part of the journey, if you will. He and I ended up breaking up and before we even, um, before I even met or moved out here before I graduated. And I remember at that time thinking, um, do I move? I already had the, my role lined up, which was great. So I didn't have to worry about finding a job, but I remember thinking, do I move? And, um, how or what particularly put the book, The Alchemist, in my hands that summer uh, when I graduated college? I love that book. <laughs> I know. Like, I just felt all the goosies and, t- and tingles inside because I don't know. I can't tell you how the book ended up in my hands, but I read that book. And there's that um, quote around when you desire something, the universe conspires to give you what you want. And I just remember that hitting so hard for me and saying, Diana, if you don't go, you will always wonder what if, and that was it. And I just, I, that, that was the deciding moment of, I already have the job, my parent and my mom actually gave me the best advice um, ever. And she said, you know, you already have a job and you know, English, do you know what it's like to immigrate when you don't have a job and you're crossing a border and you don't know English? And I was like, I really don't, but that sounds awful. (laughs) So, you know, so it's like those wise words of wisdom of what would happen. The worst thing that happens is I hate it. I fail and I move right back to Texas. No big deal. And it was scary. And yet I did it because I just had this like feeling like what will that question kept looming in my head of what will happen if you don't go and, and will you regret it? And I just felt like I will regret not even giving myself a real chance. And I think it was a, my my way of having independence and my breakaway because up in even my school, I, I was living at home. I was a, I went to a commuter school for college. So it was my independence breakout. I'm going to do this. So um, also manifested my apartment that I still have uh, within the short time frame, which is another story. But that was the first time that I recall I followed something because there was a very uh, there was a sign that hit me so hard that I could no longer ignore it. And so I share that story because that's essentially what happens to me along the way when I'm when I'm getting these intuitive hits is something will cross my sphere in a way that completely jars me or shakes me out of my like day-to-day routine and I cannot stop thinking about it and then when I can't (laughs) stop thinking about it I'm like well maybe I should look into that (laughs) and then I have noticed that I will um and I don't I don't think there's a distinction between obsessing versus that's interesting I keep thinking about it right like there's a subtle silence this moment of like this is very quiet, but it keeps kind of nudging at me. Whereas when it's egoic, it just feels like you got to go do this. You know, it's just very uh, like forceful go do energy. Whereas when it's intuition, it feels very subtle and quiet. But then there's just like this looming thought of, huh, what would happen? Or these questions that show up and what would happen if you don't? And, And so I've done that. I've used that strategy to then guide me into areas. So I, I used to have a symbol of three where if I got a thing three separate times, I will take that as my first sign to look into it. And then if I get a question looming or a thought in a very subtle way, almost to the point that if I have the thought and I like immediately dismiss it, I'm like, oh no, that's not going to work. But I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Clearly that was ego trying to shut that down. Let me look at it and explore. And, and that has been my strategy. Now I just do um, two different signs from two random different places. And I cannot explain how many times that has worked where you, maybe you Liz will say something and then a week later, somebody else completely different circle will tell me the exact same thing. And I'm like, noted. Let's go explore and investigate. <laughs> totally. No, I love I love this at times when I've been like the second or the third person on that. And I'm like, oh, cool. Didn't didn't know I was delivering the message, but I'm happy to happy to be here. <laughs> be exactly. Here <laughs> 
Yes. How are, how do you listen to your intuition or know when it's your intuition? Um, such a good question. I mean, for me, one of the things that's been really powerful in both therapy and in learning to trust my intuition is that is noticing where in my body feelings mm. show up. Yeah. Because for me, like anxiety and stress show up in my chest. That's just me. I don't think that's like a universal thing by any stretch of the imagination, but my intuition and knowing shows up in my gut. Mm. And so like taking a minute when I'm like, feel like I'm someone who honestly, I like didn't even know I had a body until I was 27. Like I, (laughs) I, or maybe a little bit younger, but it was when I did yoga teacher training was really the first time that I like lived below my neck if that makes sense like I was just such a like cerebral in my head person it was like oh wait there's like all this other stuff going on totally was disconnected from and so so actually feeling what feelings feel like in my body is like a relatively new experience considering how many years I've lived on this earth Mm -hmm. um and so that's been really interesting is like I do And it's been funny to watch myself at different points on different decisions, try to like logic my way out of like things. But at the end of the day, like for, if I just like know something, I just, I just know it (laughs) and I can make a spreadsheet. Like I just laugh because like when I found my studio apartment in San Francisco, which is a whole different crazy story of how that happened, but I got offered two apartments in the same day and, uh, and uh, they actually, they both were the same number, which was so wild. Um, <laughs> I remember this and I was like, wow, yeah. it's meant to be. <laughs> totally, totally. And there was one that was like cheaper. Um, it had an elevator. It had laundry. It was arguably better located. Like there were all these reasons why I should take that apartment. But there was this other one that had a bay window. <laughs> and it had like, it had like, you know, none of all the other things is more expensive, no elevator, no laundry. And I made a spreadsheet and I like put all these factors into the spreadsheet and like tried to like assign points. And I just kept upping the value of the bay window <laughs> in my spreadsheet. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I guess I know what I want to pick uh, <laughs> based on this behavior. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think for me, figuring out where in my body, like a feeling is showing up, like trusting that, that knowing. And then I also am someone who very much kind of like looks for signs um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I'll ask for them sometimes or just kind of be mindful. Uh, recently got definitely a little more into like angel numbers, which have been showing up quite a bit lately mm. um, as a sign. So like an angel number is like either like 111, 222, 333, or like other yeah. combinations. So that's been fun to watch for. That's awesome. <clears throat> that reminded me of my intuition in terms of my body. like when I'm really egoic head, like scared safety, it's like so loud on my right side. It almost feels like this like cheerleader, like, you know, and then when it's intuition, it drops like a little feather, like the thought, like a filing cabinet on my left side. And then I'm like, Mm. and then I look and I'm like, wait, which is that? What just, what was that thought? <laughs> you know? So it's, it, I do love, I guess, for anybody listening, like playing with like where in the body or the mind, is it dropping in? And what does that feel like and look like? I think that's really cool. Totally, totally. And I'm curious, is that, um, is that something that you noticed about yourself through your NLP training or is that totally separate? Um, Cause I would love for anyone who's, who's listening, who does not know what NLP is, if you wouldn't mind telling us what it is. Um, and if that's something that you picked up through it. Yes and no. I picked, I mean, we were talking about symbols and signs. So I was in a bookstore and a book fell out. <laughs> can't make this <laughs> up. <laughs> it was called the dream book. And I was like, what is this dream book? And then, then I went down the rabbit I bought the dream book. And then I went down the rabbit hole of the dream book in, um, in uh on Amazon <laughs> dream books and like go down a rabbit hole on Amazon to search dream books um 
I, I will come back and answer NLP. And then uh, another manifestation is my husband and I went to, um, so anyway, I noted some dreams on Amazon. I didn't buy any, but I had bought that other book from the bookstore. So then my husband and I are in Sedona for our birthdays. My husband and I, our birthdays are two days apart. So we always take a little break for our birthdays or do something. And we're getting a massage. And this woman has a dream book on her coffee table as I'm waiting for my husband's massage to finish. And in the book, there was this person, the author created a dream book using NLP and listening to your spirit guides and listening to your intuition. And that book mesmerized me. So anyway, in that she does teach us how to listen and notice your intuition and what does it feel like and sound like using NLP. So all that to say is there's kind of different steps and it's all interrelated, which is where there's just tons of synchronicities. And I like totally live for this stuff, Um, even though I hate the the scary part of like taking chances, but I love like how it always unfolds beautifully and magically and then never how I could <laughs> totally believe the way I would have planned it. So <clears throat> all that to say is um, also view myself as somebody as bridging the spiritual and the practical human aspect. And what I love what NLP is, and NLP stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming. And at the short core answer of what that is, it's a it's a modeling method of identifying effective ways to drive change. And so neuro means what is in the mind, what is in the brain. So consciously, and then more importantly, subconsciously, one of the modalities and to identify how do people think or what are they feeling is listening to their language. And so that's why they have linguistics, because when they modeled, when the people that created neuro-linguistic programming, the backstory is that um, when was Richard Brandler? I don't remember the other person's name. They were professors in Santa Cruz and they were modeling and just looking at interview tapes of uh, like the world's best therapists and hypnotherapists. And they noticed that a therapist would say, oh, this is what I do when it came to teaching other therapists how to do a, a, a therapy practice. But they noticed in the videos that the therapist was actually saying one thing in teaching versus when they noticed the therapy sessions, they were actually using different language. And so they saw that, oh, this is an interesting dynamic. They're telling us that this is how they you do a therapy session, but they're actually actually do speaking different language and doing different things than what they're saying, right? So they notice this difference in in the language being used, which then they picked up, okay, is it the client's language? What is the language? And then they started to really unpack all the, the, they started to really study therapists, hypnotherapists and clients and what is the language that enables effective change. And so programming, the word programming from neuro-linguistic programming then is what is the programming that people have at the subconscious level? And the question then becomes what informs or drives programming? A lot of it comes down to what is the beliefs the attitudes, the identities that we have learned and developed for ourselves or created for ourselves. And as as adults, we have a certain beliefs, identities, thoughts, feelings about how we are, who we are. What they have also found through NLP is that so much of it comes from childhood. So sometimes we have a lot of our programming, or most of the time, a lot of our programming from early childhood, from upbringings, from parents, from our environments. And so all of that molds and shapes who we are. It's a beautiful thing to unpack because then we realize, oh, oh, I am a certain way because of these things I learned. Then the empowerment, this is what I do in coaching is the empowerment becomes, is this working for me? Do I want mm-hmm. to continue this or do I get to choose? And we don't realize that we get to choose. And that to me is the magic. Long-winded way of saying what is NLP, but at the core, it is around understanding what drives and ticks somebody and then deciding, is this what works for me or not? And that's why, from my coaching perspective, I'm so interested in helping women become empowered with what is authentically to them, not their upbringings and beliefs. And not that there's anything wrong with upbringings and beliefs. It's just a question of, is this working for me? And do I want to continue to live my life using this? Totally, totally. I love that so much. And I mean, I think um, 
you know, Tony Robbins is somewhat controversial, but I do <laughs> love how, I mean, I've gotten a lot from his teaching and I love this idea of like, it's really, it's a software upgrade when you, like, when you're thinking totally. about like kind of reprogramming your thoughts and beliefs, like yes. you've picked up all this software, like totally unintentionally. And so like the reason that you are the way you are, the reason your life is the way it is, is like, it's not like, there's nothing good or bad about it. It's just like what you've picked up along the way. And then like, there's a moment, um, there are many moments every day, arguably is the moment, but where you get to choose like what programs do I want to put on this archive yeah. and like what needs an upgrade uh, for the next step or the next level? I just, I just want to add one quick note that um, freedom comes in realizing you can choose. And I think that's very important. And I think for me to being Hispanic and born to an immigrant family, there were thoughts that like, I have to do certain things. I have to be married by 20 if not my life ended or I'm not like a good daughter, you know? <clears throat> realizing that my freedom came from choosing that was groundbreaking to me. Like I can choose. Wow. So for anybody else, yes, you get to choose and you're worthy of choosing. You're entitled to it and you're worthy because you are and nothing else. Oh, I love that so much. It's such a powerful reminder. Um, and I also, well, one, I want to be respectful of your time and I do want to make sure we save some time to talk through like, any kind of like tips or suggestions you have for people who are like, you know, wanting to heal some of their yes. shit for lack of a better word. Um, and I also am going to just underline and, and for future conversations that like, we definitely need to have a future podcast conversation about one, how you, how you manifested your husband and two, just yes. manifestation more broadly. Yes. Um, but what are like your, you know, top tips if someone is like kind of in it right now for how, how do you get to that place of, of choosing? I think it like, I appreciate that it can sound like nice on paper, but then it's like, mm -hmm. but how? Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm going to answer from a perspective of if you're in the thick of feeling hopeless or feeling like there's no solution or feeling like I have to have this career because if I don't, I'm going to not provide for my family, fill in the blank, right? So from being in the thick of it, the first thing that I think is very important is to have grace and compassion for yourself. And and it's um, my coach used to tell me like, you're just a pretty swan, but underneath your feet are like a little duck, just flattering, <laughs> like flapping around. And I was like, yes, yes, I'm just trying to stay afloat. And so, um, but I learned to have grace and compassion for one, I'm doing the best I can. You are doing the best you can. I don't think anybody puts themselves into situations where they're unfulfilled out of, uh, I intentionally am going to like, not be happy, right? You know, we make choices because we think we're doing the best choice available to us at that time. And so having the grace and compassion. My second tip is to be honest with yourself about what you're feeling. And a, a very safe way that to me, as silly as it might sound, is I truly believe in the power of journaling. Because actually, and I've learned this recently, what journaling allows to do is let your subconscious really speak what it's feeling. And what happens is if we're not conscious of why we are feeling a certain way, we'll continue doing whatever it is that's putting us in that situation. But when we become conscious about what we're feeling, that's when we get to start to choose differently. And that's why to me, journaling that expresses from a subconscious level, you know, there's beautiful journal, journal prompts out there and there's beautiful um, questions that you can ask yourself and then really answer Journaling is a safe way to express what you're feeling and being honest with yourself. And that's the thing, right? Like sometimes I even notice I'm journaling and I'm like, I have this thought. I'm like, well, I don't want to write that, right? Because because I judge it <laughs> immediately. <laughs> but that's exactly when you write it out. And so when you start to journal it out, you become aware of what you're really feeling. And so when you become aware of what you're really feeling, that becomes a third step of allowing yourself that space to feel what you got to feel. And I don't know how you feel about those, Liz, but like it always has been taboo that women don't cry at work, right? And but it's like sometimes you got to go to the bathroom and cry, you know? So just let it out. And so letting out those feelings in a very safe way is my third tip because um, we're human. 
emotions are here to guide us. And when we embrace our emotions as to what we're feeling, we can navigate life in a much better and healthier way. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, those tips. And yes, I feel like crying in the bathroom at work is such a such a universal experience. Although I feel like with COVID, um, now we get to just cry in our own bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's cry on the side and turn off the camera and the, and the audio. <laughs> Totally, totally. Um, oh my gosh, well, I could talk to you for hours, uh, seriously. Uh, and I, again, I want to be respectful of time. The, the last, I have two more questions I want to ask. And the first is, I've been asking everyone on the podcast um, what I've, I, I imagine you are similar to me and many of the women I know, and that you have inspirational post-its up <laughs> around yes. your desk and in your life. Um, and I do have big dreams that one day I'm going to print a, like a stack of just inspirational post-its that people can pull off for, you know, the message of the day. Oh if my you God. got, <laughs> I want in on this one. <laughs> Totally, totally. So if you got a post-it or two to contribute to the stack, what would your inspirational post-it message be? Mine are very simple. The first one is, you're a badass boss. Love it. The second is, you love to public speak. (laughs) (laughs) I'm an introvert. I like to be in my cocoon. (laughs) The idea of being on a stage is like, wow. And yet I love it in a weird, scary way. So I I have that post-it to look at it when I'm doing my calls, my meetings, you know, especially for corporate, I'm like, want to hold space and command the room. I'm like, yeah, I love to public speak. (laughs) And I look at those two post-its every day. Oh my gosh. I love it. Those are awesome. I'm definitely adding them to the collection. And the last thing is, uh, I would love, I'm sure people are curious how they can find you um, or keep up with you and the work that you're doing. So what is the best way for people to follow along and be in touch? Yes. uh, IG is probably my favorite, which is Diana Lives. And the other place where you can always find me and get the latest, get on my email list is at dianawayne.com, where I do have daily inspirational, weekly inspirational. And honestly, it's like, quasi blog. Here's what's going on in my life. And here's some inspirational stuff along with my latest courses and programs. I have some passive and also one-on-one coaching available as well. Awesome. Well, we will definitely include links to both of those in the show notes. Oh, I was going to say, I actually have freebie meditations for losses and healing and just feeling anger or whatever emotions and that I'd be happy to share with you with your audience. Oh, amazing. Yes, please. Um, We'll definitely get those included as well. Um, This has been, Diana, this has been such a treat. And honestly, I'm like, we did not even get into your philosophy on time stacking. We did not even get into manifesting your partner. So we will continue this conversation in the future for sure. We didn't tell people how we met in India. We will tell people how we met in India for sure. That is another amazing story. Totally, totally. So more to come for sure. But thank you so much for making time today. I really, really appreciate your sharing all your wisdom. Um, You are such a badass woman changing the world. And I'm so grateful that you're in mine. Thank you so much. And I'm grateful you're in my world because it is so much better. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram at Liz, L-A-S dot best, B-E-S-T, or by searching my name on LinkedIn. You can also sign up for my three-day personal branding challenge, which is totally free, by visiting my website, which is Elizabeth with an S, E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H, best, B-E-S-T, dot com slash personal branding challenge. See you in the next episode.